Welcome to the Smart Industry Podcast, Remaking Industry, where we dive deep into the tools, techniques, and technologies that are accelerating digital transformation. All right. Thank you for joining us for this installment of the Remaking Industry Podcast. My name is Chris McNamara, Editor-in-Chief with Smart Industry. Today, we welcome Kent Malville. Kent is the Sales Engineering Manager with Inductive Automation. Kent, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you doing? I am doing well. We're connecting with Kent. Um, Kent, you're in uh, Northern California, correct? I am in the Sacramento area. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, let's jump right into it. We're going to look at system integration and all the um, good stuff happening in in terms of that in a general sense and in relation to the pandemic and uh, all things topical on that front. So starting things off, Kent, how is system integration changing in the uh, COVID era? And you know what? Back that up a little bit. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, um, how long you've been with Inductive, your focus, your passion, all that good stuff. Sure. Um, So, you know, I've been with inductive automation for about four years now. Um, And what I do every day is I meet with different customers, uh, you know, look at their requirements, help them identify, um, you know, if Ignition is a good fit for them, help them with uh, proof of concepts, architecture discussions, best practice discussions, all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, my my background wasn't originally in the OT space. I, I come from a, a computer science background, uh, worked in ERP systems and other, uh, you know, software systems before coming to inductive automation. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm glad that I did find inductive automation. It's been a good fit for me. I, I like uh, getting deep into the technical with people, but also I, I like uh, talking to people. So sales uh, has been good for me. Um, you know, and inductive automation is a, a unique company in that um, it's big enough that I get to talk to people all over the world all the time, but it's uh, small enough that we're agile and, and pivot and adopt new technology. So uh, there's always something new to learn about, always something new to talk to customers about. So yeah, uh, yeah that's a little bit about me. Yeah, we've enjoyed working with Inductive Automation throughout the past couple of iterations of our Basecamp digital series. We love having you guys on board with that. And it's a great resource to tap into when we need smart people to lend their perspective on cutting to- cutting edge uh, topics. Um, in that vein, let's talk system integration, um, trends in general and changes uh, as we still struggle through this pandemic. We're recording here in um, early November, 2020. Um, so uh, what's, what's up with system integration and how is it changing with COVID? You know, that's a, a great topic. Um, and I think that the answer is different for each system integrator, just kind of like how this pandemic has affected everybody a little bit differently, um, some more than others. But uh, I think that, you know, some system integrators uh, who have focused on certain industries have struggled because, um, you know, people are looking to cut costs wherever uh, they can. Uh, supply chains have been affected, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, and that's hard. Um, and then we have other system integrators who, uh, you know, companies are rapidly trying to adapt to whatever this new normal is going to be. And that involves changes to their processes and they need help to implement those. And so we have some system integrators who have more work than they know what to do with um, as they're trying to help these these companies adapt. And so, um, you know, there is such a, 
a diverse change there, but a lot of things that we're seeing, um, you know, at least initially were in order for systems integrators to continue to operate, they needed to get remote access to these sites. They weren't going, you know, they're not the boots on the ground anymore. They're, you know, a phone call away. Um, and so I almost feel bad for all the IT departments of all these companies who have had to, you know, they've been saying no for getting remote access for many years. And now it's like, well, you don't have that option anymore. Um, sure. So integrators are, are getting access. They're doing things remotely because people are doing things remotely. We're seeing a lot more focus on security. Um, you know, with uh, IDPs, like federated identity providers, uh, two-factor authentication, you know, how do you implement those on all the systems as people get more remote access? So that's been interesting to see. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that now we're kind of, you know, reached a point where for the most part, people are able to work remotely. People are, are still chugging along, um, which kind of leads to the second half of what I see of, um, the change that's happened within system integration during the COVID era, which is I think that the types of projects that people are, are tackling now focus much more on uh, digital transformation, getting all the data connected so that uh, people can see what's going on remotely. Um, and, you know, there's already been a big push in the last five, 10 years to make that happen anyway. And I think that this has just accelerated uh, the adoption of those kind of uh, projects because people really have no other choice. Yeah, I hear that repeatedly that, um, you know, there's just this accelerated adoption of all these concepts that had been on the back burner or had been, you know, we'll do that in six months or in one year, and it's really fast-tracking those efforts there. Um, talk to me, if you can, about, um, you know, IT teams having reluctantly to um, change their policies about uh, openness to, to third parties and things like that. Is it getting better? Are they uh, IT reps that you've worked with? more accommodating as we get, you know, six and eight and 10 months into this thing here in uh, changing their long held um, security beliefs. Is it getting better on that front? It is getting better. Um, I think that it all comes down to risk. And so, you know, there's risk of opening up your network and allowing remote access. So, you know, certainly you try to mitigate as much of that risk as possible by, you know, following best practices. But um, a lot of times the risk of, um, you know, opening up your network outweighed the benefit of having remote work. But now that remote work is, you know, more or less the only way, <laughs> the, the risks no longer outweigh those benefits. And so uh, they, they kind of see that and they, they accept that. And uh, I think that, you know, more and more people aren't getting as much pushback. But uh, certainly it's not a time for OT to steamroll over IT and say, we need to open up everything. You know, we still need to be cautious, follow best practices and and not do things for no reason. Sure, of course. You know, on that front, I'm talking about working with end user clients and things like that. Um, is there a greater awareness of these data-driven strategies? In, in your tenure, um, have you seen a increased awareness of and appreciation and demand for, for lack of a better term, smart approaches to manufacturing here? Or is it still um, a chore that you have to educate um, the clients with whom you work? Uh, there's still definitely some education that has to happen because I think a lot of people have misconceptions uh, or at least different understandings of what data-driven strategies and technologies really are because I don't think that people are opposed to making decisions based on data. You know, that's what 
management is doing, you know, has been doing for decades, you know, that we try to collect data and then you analyze the data and you do something about it. But the thing that's changed is the rate and the quantity um, of the data we're getting. And what I mean by that is that, you know, historically you've got somebody with a clipboard going around looking at machines, they're writing down numbers. Uh, maybe they go write those on a whiteboard and they, uh, somebody comes and in, puts them into Excel and then somebody, you know, has an Excel template that they use to generate some, uh, you know, various charts and things. You deliver that to management, management makes a decision a month later, you know, and, and that was your data-driven strategy at the time. And, um, you know, being able to make decisions a month after the fact, you know, isn't good enough anymore. Sure. And, so people are seeing that, you know, as they do this digital transformation, as they, you know, have this connectivity to all of their equipment and they centralize it into centralized systems and maybe even do analytics, push it up to the cloud, do machine learning, that they get all the data instantaneously. And then rather than having a bunch of manual work to analyze that data, there are tools that do it, once again, instantaneously. And so that the decisions that can be made based on that data, rather than being a month away, are seconds away mm -hmm. and that's so powerful um, but you know people are resistant in saying you know how do we trust those and you know these models that are being trained how long does that take do we have the technology in place to really make impactful decisions what if the decisions that are made are wrong and those are all valid questions that people are still sorting through and i, I don't think all the answers are out there but i think that people have recognized that the old ways of collecting data and analyzing data aren't relevant because a month so much changes in a month in our world sure. today. sure um, talk to me, old ways. Talk to me. Kent, how old are you? I am 30 years old. Okay. Um, let's explore the age difference um, in terms of the approach or the mindset to di digital transformation. Do you find that it's pronounced? Um, young professionals with whom you work uh, have a greater you know, ease with these approaches and these tools, trends, and technologies as opposed to um, more seasoned professionals? Is that a, I know that's the, um, that's the widely held belief. How accurate is that in your mind? Uh, I think it's, it's certainly at least partially accurate. I think that young people have uh, less of a mindset of things need to be done this way because that's the way they've always been done. Right. Um, now, I think that young people sometimes accept risk faster um, for better or for worse. <laughs> um, you know, but it was, uh, interesting. I was at a water conference, um, where I was, uh, presenting. And then I also was on a panel, um, a few years ago. And on this panel, uh, I had talked about some of these kind of ideas of, you know, automatically collecting data and doing analytics on it. And somebody had said that they don't trust that. And we kind of got into this argument of this, you know, attendee versus me on the panel going back and forth about whether or not this was, you know, something that should be done. And uh, it's funny because the moderator ended up interrupting our little spat and made a comment that I really appreciated. But uh, he said that change is happening one retirement party at a time. Hmm. And, uh, and I think that that's true to some extent. There are, you know, some people out there that have these deep set tribal knowledge type things that, um, you know, it's their, um, 
you know, it's what they're going to stand on forever. They're, they're not giving up this belief. And, um, and I think that that is motivated by fear. Um, and I think that as, you know, people come in and they try new technologies and they see that it's not just about mitigating risk, but it's about improving performance and, um, as they see what's possible, that they're, they're willing to accept that. Now, I don't think that's just a, a new generation that's, that's accepting that belief. I think that more and more people are adopting that. Um, and so I, it's held in all age groups. But yeah, I think that it is a little bit more predominant mm -hmm. in the younger people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, change is difficult. It uh, is. So uh, talk to me about what you're working on, and, and you can anonymize things as need be. What is a, a interesting, unusual, strange, uh, intriguing project that you're currently working on? Any unusual scenarios, any particularly challenging situations that you're dealing with? Yeah, so uh, it's a good question. You know, as a, you know, inductive automation, for those who might not know, we don't have an integration arm to our company. So our involvement in individual projects are uh, more of a consultant role, um, but I, I do get to participate in scoping out and planning and uh, and executing to some extent some cool projects. Um, our company does our best to highlight when you know our integrators go out and do cool things. We just had our conference uh, ICC, um, our first year doing it digital or virtual, um, mm -hmm. like many people. But uh, we just did that in September, and and one of the um, the projects that we highlighted as a firebrand award winner there was um, Brock Solutions had worked with the Greater Toronto Airport Authority um, in Canada, um, specifically working on their Toronto Pearson International Airport. Mm -hmm. And they had seven different SCADA systems, um, you know, disparate systems that were all connecting different parts of uh, the airport. And they were trying to modernize that bring it all into one system and it's hard because when you've had seven different systems there were legitimate requirements in all those different seven systems of why they were chosen and you know things that people like about them things that people don't like about them and to find a a single system that you can put into place that um you know meets all those requirements and things is tricky and so um got to work with them a little bit on the architecture and things and um, I was really happy with how that project turned out. They had over a quarter million tags. They had over 50,000 alarms, um, you know, a bunch of different types of devices. Um, and so that's just, that's always tricky when you have uh, so much diversity and then you try to create standards on that. Um, so that's a, a fun project that uh, reflects a lot of the work I do of, you know, helping people uh, find ways to, to meet disparate requirements. But uh, another thing that I wanted to highlight real quick um, that's been a big focus for us is uh, when people have tried to do, you know, digital transformation, they want to take advantage of the cloud, they want to take advantage of machine learning, they want to take advantage of other, um, you know, packages that are not part of their SCADA system, but they're part of cloud offerings. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, inductive automation has um, had injectors um, through our partner SiriusLink that push data into the cloud and and that's valuable but anytime you have something that injects data to the cloud you then end up writing scripting inside the cloud to parse that data and do something meaningful with it and 
it's been a big sore point for a lot of people trying to figure out once I get my data to the cloud, what do I do with it? Sure. And how do I use it effectively? And so um, we've been working with AWS um, and recently uh, announced a partnership with them, especially with their AWS SiteWise uh, product, which, um, you know, inside Ignition SCADA system, you, you have all your tags, all your data points, and you create these UDTs, these user-defined objects um, or types. And you have these definitions and then you have instances of those definitions. So you can make a change to the definition. It applies to all your instances. Um, and so that you're not having to worry about individual tags, you worry about objects. And uh, SiteWise, AWS SiteWise has this concept of models. You create models and then you can create assets, which are instances of those models more or less. And then each one has measurements inside it. And we now have this tool that takes uh, the UDTs and instances inside Ignition all your tags, and it can push it up into AWS SiteWise, and it automatically creates those as models, assets, and, and measurements. And so um, we're finding ways to, you know, collaborate with these cloud partners and take the data that exists in a very OT format and have it, you know, seamlessly change into an IT format that then can be used with other tools. And so um, people have gotten really excited about that. We just announced that in uh, September as well, I believe. And uh, now we're well into um, creating something similar with uh, Microsoft Azure. So um, yeah, that's been a fun project to, to work on, to figure out, you know, how does uh, this OT data make it to the cloud in a meaningful format? Interesting. Um, you know, you touched on it right there about the excitement about projects like that. Um, last question for you. I'm asking you to pull back a little bit. Uh, in the larger world of system integration, what, uh, what's coming down the road? What is exciting? What are you most encouraged about in the coming six months or one year or five years? You know, we, we've kind of hit on it in a couple of different ways as we've been talking, but um, part of what excites me is, since I come from a software background, um, that in the software world when I was in college, you know, people talk about there are different methodologies for how you approach a project. Mm -hmm. And there's this waterfall method where you define all the requirements up front and, you know, you get sign off approval and all of that. And then you go to the next phase and you start implementation. And anytime you have a change order, you go back and change the software, you know, requirements, then uh, it gets really expensive and it's hard to have a successful project, um, you know, where you had to, anticipate every need from the get-go and you know system integration is very much like that you have a an rfp that goes out you try to identify all of your requirements up front you get sign off on those so that everything's in scope and anything that becomes out of scope you know you know do you carry that for a later uh, project or does that add to the cost now and and it, so many projects fail or um, fall short of what they could be because everybody has been so focused on, once again, mitigating risk. And so we define everything up front. And in the software world, people have said, all right, well, waterfall doesn't work. We're going to do this agile methodology where we're going to develop something and then, you know, have it be delivered, see what's valuable of that, and then continue to iterate. Um, and I'm starting to see more and more people adopt a, a semi-agile approach to systems integration where um, people recognize that you don't know everything at the beginning of a project. Right. And, you know, we can uh, find companies that we trust to work with 
and develop a relationship where we can build something, we can deliver something, and then iterate on that. And I think that that's really exciting and that's going to make so many more projects successful when people can uh, find ways to you know, have these projects grow and develop in a natural way um, so that the end product is, is really useful. And, and once again, I want to emphasize that that has to be based on trust, that you have to find companies to work with that you trust, you know, the, the systems integrator has to, you know, be above board, has to, you know, uh, not be trying to take advantage of the end user, the end user has to not be trying to take advantage of the uh, integrator and uh, it's hard. And so, uh, but I think that people are are getting there out of necessity. I think COVID has accelerated that because people have had to, you know, adopt things so quickly. Um, there wasn't time to put out a full RFP on things. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be a slow change. But I think that that's something that excites me as I look at the future of systems integration, the future of integration in general, that, you know, people are going to recognize how much they don't know and, you know, approach new projects with an open mind. Excellent. Kent Melville with Inductive Automation, thank you for joining us today on the Remaking Industry podcast. Yeah, it's been my pleasure to be here. And to our listeners, as always, we remind you to go out and make it a smart day.